In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Outside this church, uh, there is a notice board which uh, informs the world that this is Linfield United Reformed Church. It might have said Methodist, or Baptist, or Salvation Army, or maybe something else, but it doesn't. It says Reformed. And I was led to preach today on a text which, to me, epitomizes something of this Reformed, which forms part of our name. When I when we, we, we returned to live uh, in uh, Linfield, uh, Norman Smith, who was the minister then, uh, uh, suggested that from time to time, from time to time, I might be allowed to preach and uh, share some current issue or concern which was on my heart. And I've been led to this particular um, verse and theme this morning and I have to say it's not an easy one. A little book dropped through my door recently and it triggered memories of a certain day last year, I think it was the 11th of February. It was the day that the news of Pope Benedict's retirement broke on an unsuspecting world. The airwaves and the television screens were full of ecclesiastical experts pontificating, excuse the pun, uh, on the state of the Roman Catholic Church and who might succeed to Joseph Ratzinger's, some would feel, poison chalice. Now, it happened to be a day which I had set aside to read and to comment on uh, the draft of a book written by a a very old friend and colleague of mine, Keith Forecast, uh, with whom I worked in the early days of the URC at Church House. He He felt moved to write about that time 40 plus years ago when our church was born and shaped as the generation who experienced all that grow fewer he felt that these events should be recorded and explained for posterity where we came from how we got to where we are and how this affects our role today Keith's book was the one which has just been published and arrived in its final form, getting the name right, he called it, exploring the identity and role of the United Reformed Church. And it gives an interesting and uh, uh, initially encouraging uh, account of our beginnings and our aspirations. And it goes on to... um, report on the the contribution which the reform tradition has made in the whole life of our country. 
but my eye caught a rather depressing question which he poses. Is there anything special or distinctive about our history or our present life to merit our continued separate existence? What gift, if any, may God be said to have given to us, which is not also given in similar measure to others? Now, it so happened that exactly the same day, I received an email report from another colleague who each year analyzes the statistics provided in the URC yearbook. At Union in 1972, we declared that we had 192,000 members in some 2,000 churches. The 2013 yearbook tells us we have just 60,000 members, a reduction to one-third of the starting number in one and a half thousand churches served by 494 stipendiary ministers, half what we had at Union. And he subsequently, just for good measure, sent an addendum saying that having also analyzed the Methodist figures, their experience has been markedly similar. Now, meanwhile, I happened to be reading about that time a book called Sorting Out Believing by another contemporary acquaintance, Michael Taylor. Michael uh, was an eminent Baptist academic who unusually stands at the extreme liberal end of the theological spectrum. And in it, if I read him right, he is actually saying that uh, God, the Bible, most of our Christian belief is actually man-made because we don't have any hard empirical evidence otherwise. Human beings have invented it all because we need something like this to hang on to. That doesn't mean, he says, that it isn't true, just that we have no means of knowing. So, truth be told, it was a pretty depressing day. <laughs> and I'm sure I have thoroughly depressed you all by telling you about it. Bear with me. But, you know, seriously, what are we to make of the present condition of our dear old United Reformed Church? And indeed, the plight of Western Christendom, because we're not alone. The Roman church is tarnished by a rash of abuse scandals and a, a desperate need for leadership to bring it out at least into the 20th century, if not the 21st. And no one is quite sure whether Pope, Pope Francis, for all his refreshing simplicity, will actually achieve that. Our Anglican neighbors have been so deeply divided over issues like women bishops and human sexuality 
and we ask, can Justin Welby actually move things forward for them? And the rest of our free church cousins join us in declining membership numbers and a lack of financial resources. Now, students of church history will tell us that over two millennia, the family of God has waxed and waned. Christianity in the UK was at a, a very low ebb in the 18th and 19th centuries prior to first the, the Methodist revival and then the great evangelical movements. And that process also um, affected the established church through pe people like John Keeble and John Henry Newman. The Welsh revival followed in the, at the beginning of uh, last century. So some would say, don't worry, it'll all come right in the end. But you know, our inbuilt Protestant ethic doesn't find that easy. We want to do something and do it now. But what? There is, I detect, a growing uneasiness in church circles from the local level to the central hierarchy that we can't go on as we are if we are to be faithful to our, our calling to be the ambassadors for Christ in this 21st century. And at least some of us, I think, are aware and concerned. This was a major issue at our General Assembly at the beginning of last month in Cardiff. I've been in a number of discussions on the subject, official and informal, in recent months. Reasons, excuses abound. Some say it's all the fault of a secular materialistic society where worldly values have superseded spiritual ones. Kids aren't taught to pray anymore. And religious education is just a generalized study of the world's many creeds and moral cultures. People are disciplined and sometimes dismissed for expressing their faith openly at work and in the social environment therein. We can be bawled out and, and ostracized for stating what hitherto have been very basic, accepted Christian values. Perhaps Lord Carey was, uh, went a bit too far in suggesting that Christians are becoming a persecuted minority in the UK, but traditional values have certainly taken a hammering. And his successor, Rowan Williams, recently described us as being in a post-Christian era. Others say, no, no. We can't blame society. It is the fault of the church for not keeping up with the times, for continuing patterns of worship and belief which have been overtaken by the very different world of IT and virtual living. We're living in the past. We're not addressing the current scene, the developing cultures of our children and our grandchildren. Yet others look 
more domestically within the church itself. We are somehow lacking that drive, that enthusiasm. Where is the vision, the dynamic leadership of yesteryear? Even in that, uh, that era of URC Union 40 years ago, 1972, when we had a strong steer from, from renowned leaders, people like Kenneth Slack and Donald Soper and George McLeod. And so we're accused of being aimless, of abandoning policies and programs which had a marked effect on the life of the church and indeed of society in times gone by. I remember well in my early years in ministry, the great emphasis there was on church extension Starting new congregations, building new churches in, in new towns, in uh, new suburbs and places like that. My very first visit to Linfield was when I was sent by the Presbyterian Church of England to set up a new church in Mid-Sussex because we didn't have one here. Now, we just have a catalogue of closed churches every year. Through the 70s and 80s, we had a very strong Christian stewardship program in, in most of the churches, including our own. We didn't lack resources of either finance or personnel. Members, members responded to that challenge. Do you remember TRIO? The responsibility is ours, TRIO. 1972, I was the youth secretary. Fury, Fellowship of United Reformed Youth, was, was, was founded. We had a dynamic and vibrant program of conferences and camps and events attracting youngsters. We, had built up, we built up a, a, a team of what we then called youth leadership training officers, professionals, to provide advice and encouragement which local churches needed. Today, as I go around preaching... Many churches have no children or young people at all. In a meeting of ministers recently, these questions were high on the agenda. It was suggested that part of the problem is that our training of ministers and of preachers is more effective than it was in, in, in former times on practical, on pastoral issues. But it does not have the content of biblical study and of the deeper theological um, uh, issues which are essential for the church as it grapples with a very different situation today. The trouble in all this, my friends, is that we are looking all the time at man-made problems and possible solutions. We assume that it's all our fault somehow that things go wrong and we have to put them right. And that takes me back to Michael Taylor's assertion that religion is all really man-made. But you see, <laughs> he was wrong. It isn't. The wonderful, 
The incredible thing about our faith is that it's all in God's hands, not ours. You are saved through faith, Paul assures us. It's not your own doing. It's God's gift, not a reward for good works done. Let me say that again. You are saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's God's gift. Not a reward for good works done. Don't worry. Trust God and then get on with it. Don't imagine you're going to have to do it all yourselves. The fantastic, the unique thing about our Christian faith is that God loves us despite ourselves, despite everything, our failures and our weaknesses. Because we wouldn't listen in any other way, he sent his son. He came himself in Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God's word, his expression, his revelation of himself is Jesus. That's what St. John's Gospel makes so vividly clear in the prologue, in its prologue. It's through the scriptures, yes, and in other ways that we come to know the word. But it's Jesus himself who is the word, the way in which God has expressed himself in and to his creation. Now, if we really take that on board, I think it should change our mindset. Okay, it's true. We've uh, got ourselves into a bit of a mess in URC, in the church generally, certainly in our Western world, you, you go to um, Asia and Africa and things are growing great guns in, in other ways. But you see, it's God who is sorting things out in his good time. Well, maybe we're going to have to work quite hard at it and be prepared to change quite a bit in the process. But perhaps first... We need to spend a good deal more time in that prayerful quest for his guidance, his will, less time moaning and wringing our hands. And I think the experience that some of us have had in this last week, sitting in the church lounge at the back there, bears out this truth. I love that passage in, in Luke 12 where Jesus is telling the, apostles, the disciples not to worry. God feeds the birds, clothes the lilies. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What a fantastic promise. 
What a fantastic assurance that is. All we have, all we are, all we need is ours by God's free gift. By his grace, and that word of course means his free gift, we are saved. We are freed from our fears and our anxieties. So let's do just that. Believe God. Accept his gracious gift in Jesus. Trust him. And then get on with the work which so desperately needs to be done. Unburdened by a sense of, of personal guilt. Freed by faith. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, go, go and preach the gospel to the far ends of the earth. But he also said, I'm with you always to the very end of time. You are saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's God's free gift. Believe that and get on with the job. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.